As we come now before the hearing and the preaching of the Word of God, if you'd like to read with me, uh, we'll be here this morning in the Gospel of John in chapter 13. So you can turn to, to John chapter 13. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Our Lord, uh, you've said in your word that the one who keeps your word, in him is the love of God perfected. We want that to be true of us, that your love would be perfected in us. So now, Lord, would you cause us to attend to your word, to listen here with eager and believing hearts, Open our minds and our ears to hear what you've had to say here. Guide us by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take this morning um, a sizable section of text here. I want uh, these first 17 verses here of chapter 13. So this is John chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
This is the word of God. Now, in reading this, we're looking here at a scene of Jesus with his disciples in just a few short hours before he is killed, crucified. This is part of what we often hear around Maundy Thursday, uh, that uh, special holiday in the spring that comes right before Easter. And Maundy, we know, is the Latin, which sometimes churches get a little nerdy about old language things, but Maundy is Latin for mandate or command. Specifically, Jesus' command comes a little later in this chapter in verse 34 when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And when Jesus gives a new command of love here, it's not as if he is getting rid of all the old commands, that the, that the old law has nothing to say anymore. It's not like, you know, all the commands about murder and stealing and coveting, all oh, that's fine now. There's a new law. You know, that would not make sense even. This new law is the fulfillment of the old law, or the way that Paul puts it in Galatians, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we could say that this new law of love is a fitting summary of God's whole law, that the greatest commandment and the second one that's like it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is to love your neighbor. So if this is the new commandment, this is love now that Jesus is calling from us, we need then to look at what Jesus actually means here by love. Because otherwise, we will just use our own varied definitions of love to justify doing whatever we want. You may uh, hear or see other people doing this. Maybe you even do this yourself sometimes. It may, you know, sometimes we see people who are routinely cruel or even demeaning to other people, and then they'll say, I'm only doing this because I love you. Or sometimes we see people who think that they can date, marry, divorce, sleep with whoever they want because they need to follow their heart with whoever they love. Or sometimes people hide or lie to other people about their own sins because they say they don't want to hurt the person because they love them. But what really is usually happening is that motivation to hide is, is from fear or sometimes even selfishness. None of this is what Jesus means by love here. Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't giving us an explanation. This is not a treatise on love, but he is giving us in this scene a picture of love. He is showing us love. And in this scene, the main event of his love is washing feet. We've been following some of Jesus' questions throughout the book of John. And the question that he draws out of this in the midst of the washing of the feet is in verse 12. Jesus asked them at the end of that verse, do you understand what I've done to you? I wash your feet. Now, do you really understand this? 
And even though foot washing may on some level seem pretty simple, there are multiple layers of things that are happening here all at once. So there's an aspect of these events that the disciples who are sitting there with him do not understand, at least not yet. And Jesus doesn't even expect that they would understand it yet. He says it back in verse uh, 7. Uh, Jesus said, what I'm doing now, you don't understand now, but afterward you'll understand. So Jesus has washed their dirty feet, all 12 of the disciples, and in that washing, of course, is an aspect of of cleansing. And as he does this, when he's talking with Peter, he says to him, you are clean, but not every one of you. You're clean, but not all of you, by which he's referring to to Judas. So Jesus has washed all 12 of their feet the same. They all have had the same physical cleansing experience, but he is not cleaning them in the same way, which means that his foot washing is a pointer to some deeper sort of cleansing. This is a symbol of a fuller sort of spiritual cleansing. He is not only washing dirty feet, this is foreshadowing washing of dirty hearts. So this now is a small picture of the work that Jesus would do soon in a few hours on the cross. They didn't know it yet, they didn't understand it yet, but it's coming. We heard about this already in our service when, uh, in the words of assurance from uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1, that the blood of Jesus would cleanse, there's that idea again, cleansing, the blood of Jesus would cleanse us from all sin. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And it's important that we get that on the cross, Jesus is not just dealing with some of the Christian sin. All of it. He's also not just dealing with your former sins. All of it. He's not just giving a partial cleansing. It's a full cleansing. As he says here, you are completely clean. We have fancy words for this in the Bible. I don't know why we like to use big words. It's not trying to make it hard for people. It's just sometimes you have to make new words for things when there's only one category for them. But elsewhere in the scriptures, there's a theological term for this sort of cleansing. It's called propitiation. Good luck spelling it. I always misspell it. Propitiation. Propitiation in the scripture we hear, Christ is the propitiation for our sin, which means that for the Christian, for the person who puts faith in Jesus, the wrath of God against sin is satisfied by Jesus. That the hellish debt for sin that we owe God is paid in full by Jesus. That's what propitiation is. So that means all of the times that you may have said cruel and demeaning things to someone. All of the times that you followed your heart and did whatever you wanted in regard to your relationships. Or all of the times when you tried to hide or lied about your sin. Or in summary, we could just say all of the times in which we may have failed to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
all of those things are piling up a mountain of judgment against us. And so God would be right to condemn, to pour out his wrath upon us. And yet, the Father, in great love for us, sent his son Jesus to be a propitiation, a payment for the sin of Christians in our place. That one drop of Jesus' blood is enough to cleanse all of our sin. I have to remind myself of that a lot. Because I find myself getting bogged down by my sin. Some of that's good. We want to hate our sin. Sometimes it's crushing to think of it. And I need to remember the fullness of Jesus. I sometimes remind myself, we've been uh, talking about hymns on Wednesday night, so hymns are on on the brain in the song Before the Throne of God Above. It talks about Christ as a propitiation. and, And one line says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him, Jesus, there who made an end of all my sin." an end of all of it, that a Christian has been fully cleansed through Jesus. Now, we can see this because God's truth is revealed to us from the scripture. We can unpack and understand that. This is true. This is also true for the disciples that they were cleansed by Jesus, even though they didn't quite understand it yet. The cross for them was still out in front of them. But Jesus didn't expect them to understand that aspect. He said, you won't understand this now. You'll understand it later. But there is something in this section that he does want them to understand now. In his question, do you understand what I've done to you? What is it then that he wants them to get now? in this moment at the foot washing. We know, just from history, that foot washing was a a familiar practice, a cultural part of first century life. You know, it's a sandal-wearing culture. And, and so, and there's not, you know, easy access to showers, and so it's easy to get dirty and dusty. And so it would be a, a common thing, if you're a guest in someone's home, that they would offer to have your feet washed as you come in. This is not only for cleanliness, it's a sign of respect, of honor for other people in your home. And usually the one who would do the foot washing in the home is not the host, it would be one of their, their bond servants. So whoever in their home was of the lowest rank. Some Jews even believed that Jews were not allowed, period, even if they were bond servants, Jews would not be allowed to wash feet at all. This was a job only reserved for Gentile slaves. So the one who washes the feet is pretty much the lowest person on the totem pole. So here, in this room with Jesus and his disciples, there's, there's no slaves in the room. There's no host. They're, they just have a room to themselves. And in this case, in this situation, it would have been normal to just go without a foot washing for the day. 
You don't need it every time. But they go ahead and start the meal, and then in the middle of the meal, Jesus breaks all the customs and does to them what would have been unthinkable. He stops mid-meal, rises from supper, and begins to take off part of his clothes. He takes off his outer garment, ties a little towel around his waist, and he kneels at their feet and begins to wash them like a bondservant would. Now, as we've said, there's part of this washing that only Jesus can do, that it's a pointer to a spiritual cleansing of sin that we cannot do ourselves, that no one can, only Jesus can do it. But there's also a part of this foot washing that Jesus does want us to do. Jesus, as he's washing their feet, is clear. He wants them to understand that this is not to be an isolated incident. He intends for it to be repeated as some sort of pattern. He says it in verse, where is it, 15. He says, I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. So do you understand, if I've washed your feet, you should now be foot washers. I know that for us now, a few thousand years later, foot washing is not a common practice, typically. I wash my own feet in the shower, but that's pretty much it. Some places do it maybe once in a while, perhaps around the holiday of Maundy Thursday as some sort of practice, but it's not typical. At least in most places, it's not the norm. Maybe for you, you've never been part of a foot washing uh, whatsoever. So we have to ask, have we, have we disobeyed Jesus here? You know, do we need to be washing each other's feet like this? The answer there, I think, is mm, yes and no. It's interesting to note that foot washing in the Bible, not just as a cultural practice, but especially as a spiritual practice, is barely mentioned in the New Testament. In fact, it's really only mentioned one other time. And uh, in that place, it's in 1 Timothy chapter 5, in that place, it's there listed not as a, uh, as a command of something that they're supposed to practice, oh, I can't find the text, but as a description of what's happening, what faithful widows specifically are doing. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10. You'll hear the foot washing part. Um, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. In other words, the foot washing here is just listed in a string of many things that are just part of, of what's described as good work. It's a posture, then, of faithfulness and of service. So I think that even if we don't do this specific act of pulling out the brush or whatever it looks like to wash someone else's feet, even if we don't do that act, Foot washing should be characteristic of our lives. 
We can't just ignore this practice or brush it away as some sort of spiritual uh, metaphor. We are to become foot washers. When Jesus asks his disciples the question, do you understand this? He's not asking them if they understand how to do it. Do you understand the mechanics of what I'm doing? He's not giving them, you know, a little step-by-step guide to foot washing. First you put on the towel, then you fill up the bowl. That's not what's going on here. And so a person could technically reenact what Jesus is doing and totally miss, misunderstand what he's talking about here. He is asking them if they understand why he's doing it. He wants them to see the attitude underneath this. That this is a whole mindset shift that totally tilts our lives in a different direction. And he wants to show them that we are not above such things. This is a call to humbleness. It's similar to what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. I can't go this whole sermon without reading this part because it's fitting. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In the room then with his disciples, in the hours before his death on the cross would occur, Jesus then goes on to point out that he, for them, is of a superior position. He says, you call me master. You call me Lord. And you're right to do that. He's not getting rid of his mastership or his lordship. But he says, if a teacher can stoop to wash feet, then so should the students. If a Lord stoops to wash feet, then so should the disciples. The servant is not greater than the master. That seems to be what's going on here. Now, what does this actually do to us? I got a small taste of the impact in this many years ago before we moved here. When I used to work with an agency uh, where uh, we worked with people with disabilities on the job So when they got new jobs, uh, my role in the agency was to go with them on that job and help them get adjusted. Sometimes there were social things to work on. Sometimes there were practical concerns, limitations of their disabilities. But I remember one in particular, there was a young guy who had just gotten a job at at a department store as a maintenance worker. And maintenance for them was not, you know, you work on the heating and air system. Maintenance was code for you do all the gross things that no one else wants to have to do. So he had just finished his training and it was his first day out on the floor 
And he was, I can't believe I'm sharing this in a sermon. It's a little unsavory, but so is foot washing. So I guess there's no better time. Uh, So he was called to, uh, and I'll call it an event that had occurred in a a bathroom. Um, And one of the toilets was no longer working and needed to be snaked. And I was dressed very similar to the way I am dressed now and was standing there with this young guy who's trying now to fit. He knows how kind of to do it, but is simultaneously a little confused and also pretty grossed out, which so was I, to be fair. And so I'm trying to explain to him what he needs to do, and it's just not connecting. And I realize we're going to have to go, go for this. And so I got on my knees next to a public toilet no longer in service and put the snake into to it and showed him how to do all the parts. It's not the most fun day. Now, I share all of this not to toot my own horn and to say, look how much like Jesus I was. I mean, I'd like to be able to share that all of my motives in that moment were all on the level, and, you know, I was doing this all out of love and humility. I mean, it was mostly just because it was my job, if I'm honest. I mean, it was my duty and obligation. I have a job. I've got to do it. Uh, So this is not quite what we're seeing from Jesus. Jesus is willing, glad to do this. His work comes from a place of humility and love, and Jesus is still working on my heart in that area, area. But... Whatever my own motives for doing this, even if I have mixed motives, I got to see the impact of this on this young teenager. A young man who watched his superior kneel on a dirty bathroom floor and take the form of a servant. And for him, that freed him up from then on to be able to do it too. Not just to know how to do it, but to feel free to do it. Now for me, in the end, that felt great. It felt great. Jesus even addresses the feeling that is connected to this. When Jesus asked them the question, do you understand what I have done to you here? He tells them then, unpacks this a little bit, not just what he has done in the washing of feet, and it's not just why he's done it even, out of love and humility. He also talks about the outcome of washing the feet. Look at it in verse 17. He says this at the end of his whole thought here. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. That word blessing, I know, is a word that has some strange connotations in our mind that sometimes are not quite accurate. Sometimes we think about blessing as this sort of, you know, nebulous state of just kind of 
I don't know, general goodness. Or sometimes we think of, of blessing as some sort of, you know, reward that happens after we die. But at its core, this word for blessing really means happy. It means happy. That if we, so Jesus has now told us, if you follow me in this, if you really embrace this foot washing as part of your life, one of the outcomes for you will be your own happiness. Now, to be clear, he doesn't say that foot washing is always very pleasant. I mean, feet are feet. They've got, you know, warts and calluses and bumps and jams and they stink and you know bathroom floors are not my favorite place I don't sign up to go nail on the bathroom floor every day but as a framework of life this can be truly freeing to follow the master in this a true foot washer no longer has a success ladder to climb. Someone who has truly embraced being a foot washer no longer has anyone to try to impress. There's no showing off in the act of foot washing. And a foot washer is not trying to earn some sort of ticket into heaven. That's only the cleansing of Jesus can do that. So he's not working on that anyway. I, in, a foot washer is just trying to wash your feet. And there's a simplicity in that, a humility in that, in which real happiness is found. Now, I want you to think about this. I won't put the, put the particulars in your mind. I trust you to do it. Think about some particular relationship, maybe one or two people, in which this might really be fitting. So you can think of your various relationships. I'm, I'm a dad, a husband, you know, a, a, a father, a son, a, a pastor. You know, maybe you've got clients, someone in which you have regular inter interactions with. And think then, how can I kneel and say, I am here just to wash your feet. I'm here just to wash your feet. That is a radically life-changing way to love. It is stunning to see this from Jesus. Jesus, the one who is God, very God, a very God in the form of God, who now also has taken the form of a servant to wash feet out of his great love for us. He now says, this is my gift to you. This is my call to you. And happy are you if you do these things. Jesus now asks us, do you understand what I have done for you? Would you pray with me? Lord, would you deepen 
our understanding of these things. We know that we love because you have first loved us. So any humility or love that we see only comes from you. Would you make our lives a reflection of your great delight? Lord, would you make us happy servants of you and of each other? And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.